Good morning again. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, or you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will hand you one miraculously as they print them. I don't know. Where are they? Yeah. Okay. I love it when leaders just say, oh yeah, this is going to happen out of thin air. (laughs) I think there are some in the seat backs. John chapter 1, I'm going to be in verses 29 through basically 42, but I'm going to read through verses 29 through 34 right now. It says, the next day, uh, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, if, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father, as we come before you in your holy word, we ask that our hearts would be quickened to what your spirit would say to the church. Father, I pray that um, whatever is not of you this morning would just be quickly discerned and moved out of our minds. But what is from your word, from your throne, What is true, what is what you're saying, I pray that it would be established and that we would not only hear it, but we would be doers of the word. And that wouldn't be out of any manipulation, but out of a response to how great a salvation we've received, Lord. So we just ask that you would do that work within us this morning as your children, as your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. John chapter 1 so far, basically... um, He lets us know in the first 18 verses that the eternal God, the Word, the light, all these different terms he's using, became flesh. He came into being and he dwelt among us. The one who was uncreated, the one who existed before time began, the one through whom all of creation was created, he became flesh. He became a man and he dwelt among us. And yet one of John's main points in verse 10 was he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. They didn't recognize their own creator. And so God, to prepare the way for Jesus, as he had throughout the ages, not only sent uh, prophets and in, in those of, of in the times past in the Old Testament, but he sent a specific person named John, John the Baptist, as we know him. Different from John the Apostle, who is writing this gospel, and John the Apostle, who is writing this, speaks of John the Baptist in verse seven and eight, and tells us that he came as a witness to bear witness about uh, the light that is the life of Christ, that, of Christ, that all might believe through him, that is through John's witness. And verse 8 says he was not the light, John wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so John the Baptist 
is the first of many witnesses that introduce us and verify that God came from outside of our time domain, so to speak, and became, entered creation, became a man. And that is the reason for John the Apostle writing the actual gospel of John. If you, like, flip all the way to the end of John, it's always good to read the end of a book first. Anybody tell you that? No, I'm just... But John chapter 20, basically, the, the chapter before it ends. John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, this is John writing. I'm, I'm kind of cutting in the middle of a sentence here, but it says, the reason why I'm writing, the reason why all these things have been written down, the signs and everything, is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And this is so important. This is really important. That in order to have eternal life, John says that you must believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You must believe in his name. Eternal life, John 17, 3 says, is to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so John the Baptist is a, is a witness to that end so that all who hear his testimony, as he is a firsthand witness in verifying these things, would have his uh, would have Christ's eternal life by believing in the name of Jesus. Some of us, you know, think, well, okay, what is believing in the name of Jesus? This doesn't mean believing, believing that his name is Jesus. And we've got to distinguish. When I think of, of, of many of you, your name carries the weight of who you are, of what you represent, your values, your kingdom, so to speak. How many of you grew up in a, in a home where I did not, but how, how many of you grew up in a home where, where it was like, hey, don't you mess with the family name? Anybody kind of had that kind of thing? You're, you're going to give our, us a bad reputation if you do X, Y, and Z, but we, we have a good reputation in the community. Anyways, I've heard of these things. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, uh, it's believing in who he is and all he represents and all he's done. Believing in the name of Jesus. You know, if you go back to Deuteronomy, it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. How many of us think that it's just saying his name irreverently? True, it is. That's, that's like the base thing. But it's all that he is, how holy he is, how, that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that that represents and that by no means should we ever Take his name in vain in that way. Does that make sense? Because of all he is and, and who he is. And so to believe upon the name of Jesus is to believe not only that, uh, that his name is Jesus, that's, that's entry level, yeah, he's Jesus, but everything he's done and who he is and he came to be, mainly that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh and that he alone was a sacrifice for sin to reconcile us to God. In verse, in verse 29, uh, John testifies to the heart and soul of what we are to believe concerning Jesus. When you want to believe in Jesus' name, this is one of the main things about Jesus you need to know. And this is so important because we get raised with different Jesuses. The Mormons have a different Jesus than the, than the Jesus of our scriptures. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a different Jesus than the Jesus of our, our, our scriptures. Islam has a different Jesus than the Jesus of our scriptures. And, and I'm already making enemies, I can see it. Jesus is who he says he is, not who we want him to be. 
John in verse 29, John uh, the Baptist testifies where we pick up today. It says, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if we were walking down the street without a context of being Jewish and someone said, behold, the Lamb of God, to some person, we would kind of go, what are you talking about? What do you mean? But there are certain things that we would understand being Americans, if there might be phrases or such that would, that would instantly, we would know, all of us would know, you know, what this person is talking about because we have a cultural context. Now, for those of you who were here last week, we ended up hearing uh, here uh, and we enjoyed communion on this verse, but I want to pick back up here because it's critical that we understand who Jesus is. And John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And for the Jews who were listening to John the Baptist who grew up under the law of Moses, they would have understood the picture that John was painting in their minds. When he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we were reminded last week, the Hebrews would eventually, beco- who would eventually become known as the Jews, same group of people. They were slaves in Egypt for around 400 years, or a little less than that, but around 400 years. And, and through Moses... God delivered them, and he basically delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, out of the slavery of Egypt, through basically ten plagues. And when you get to the tenth plague, it is, is pretty much the most devastating one. The last of the tenth plagues was the angel of death that would come through and kill every single firstborn male child unless the blood of a lamb was put upon the doorpost of their home. And so in in, in Exodus basically 12, verse 13, the Lord says to the Hebrews, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so the picture of the lamb, this, this is a picture of the lamb, was, it really resonated with the Jews. When they celebrate when they celebrate Passover, they were, they were looking back in their history to when God allowed his wrath to pass over them. It didn't pass over the Egyptians who did not appropriate the blood to their house. But it passed over those Jews who in faith trusted that the blood would avoid the wrath of God upon them in their house. You see the picture? And the picture basically is that Egypt is a type of the world in the sin. And God sends a deliverer into the world of sin. And through a sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice, he releases the people of God out of bondage that they may be free. How were they freed? Through the blood of a lamb. Because that destroying angel came and it killed every firstborn child who did not have the blood over the door. It got so overbearing for, remember this is the 10th plague, for Pharaoh, he finally said, let him go. Get him out of here. And really, when we, we need to know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who appeases the wrath of God. And is that the Jesus that you have been taught? Because that is not the Jesus that we're singing about quite often. That is not the Jesus that is being preached. That God is actually angry at sin. 
That is not a popular message. I understand it. But also God, he, in his wrath, he is also merciful. Praise the Lord that he is merciful. Amen. And that his mercy delays his wrath. And, and in his love, and this is important to know, that in his love, when God looks out at his creation and he sees how we are in the bondage of sin, he sends a deliverer. He sent Jesus Christ into the world. Not so that he could give you your best life now. Not so that he could take away all of your temporal problems. Although he does do a lot of that, amen? <laughs> but so that he could deal with your ultimate problem is a life separated from him in hell for all eternity. The wrath of God remains and abides on those who do not have the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of their heart, their life. Jesus Christ was eviscerated on the cross on behalf of those who would believe. Have you appropriated the blood of Christ to your heart, to your life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died in your place, he died a sinner's death for you. Jesus says, well, the Gospels say all through it, the whole New Testament, Old Testament foreshadows it, that this is the plan of God to save people, that they would turn from their sin and believe upon the one who saved them from the wrath of God. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the punishment of sin, which is death and eternal separation from God. Not a popular message, I understand. Many of our eyes glaze over at that point, but it is the most important truth you will ever hear that God came into the world to save you from your sin. And not only to save you from your sin, but to give you his life. And that is the other half of the gospel. He rose again. Not that you would just be saved from your sin and remain doing whatever you did before, but you would be totally, radically transformed as now God is now living inside of you. He regenerates you. I'm already skipping ahead of all this. Sorry, Jenny. <clears throat> but you're born again, and he's alive in you, and he overflows in your life. And all of that... So Jesus was that sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And this is what John says. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Lamb was foreshadowing the reality of Christ. Jesus was the Lamb. He was the Savior. And this is important because all of the Jews, by the way, of the day, like, like many of us, we celebrate religiously. We might come to church. We might give in the offering plate. We might do the Christian things. They did those things. They went to Passover. They looked and they celebrated all those things, but they were looking for a political savior. They were looking for a military savior. They were looking for everything but the savior that Jesus came to be at that time. This is why Jesus walks up and says to people, hey, you know, you want to be my disciple? Give up everything and follow me. And they were unwilling, most of them were unwilling because they love their darkness. John gets into this. 
and we do too. So they were ultimately not looking for the Savior that God sent. They were looking for the kingdom to be established physically, which is not yet. They were looking for all kinds of saviors, political, military, and all that. But the name of Jesus, the very physical name Jesus, means that God saves. Isn't it awesome that God sent a messenger named John first, which means God is gracious, and then he sends his son, which means God saves? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. What mercy. And the first time Jesus came, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, symbol of peace. The next time he's coming on a war horse, next time he's coming back to judge the nations, And so today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day. What a glorious gospel that's going out. Repent and believe believe upon him to save you this moment if you haven't. In your heart, deal with that before God as his Holy Spirit has drawn you. So John testifies that Jesus is the Lamb of God. We need to know that. Verse 30 He continues, This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. It's almost like he's speaking like Yoda there. But verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John again testifies that Jesus, although he came after John, was before him. Now John and Jesus were cousins. We know that from Luke 1. And, and Luke's gospel basically tells us that they were six months apart, Elizabeth and, and Mary. And Luke's uh, you know, had their respective children. Elizabeth had John the Baptist, and Mary had Jesus, obviously. And Luke's gospel tells us, you can do the math there, six months apart. So John says that basically after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is not only true because Jesus actually um, was younger than him. He came after him. That's that's flat out true, and that Jesus' ministry started after Jesus. It would start here at this baptism that, that we're reading about. But John is really testifying that Jesus is, came before him because he is the eternal God. He was always, Jesus never didn't exist. He always was. And you'll get into that like in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, I am the eternal existing God, Jesus says. And so although John testifies of Jesus as the Lamb of God, John says in verse 31 that he did not know him, that is, he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So not only is Jesus the Lamb of God, not only is is he preexistent, but John says, I I didn't even recognize him. I don't know who he is. I didn't didn't know. That's that word recognize. And John says, "I I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So John's baptism was not only the means for Israel to get ready, to get their hearts ready in repenting and turning towards God in public confession, but it's also the means in which God designed for Jesus to be revealed to Israel. It's a trip in baptism. That's how he's going to reveal himself to the people of God. John had no clue that Jesus was the Messiah until verse 32 which we're reading, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove in the form of a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The sign that was to be the confirmation for John to know that whoever it was was to be the Messiah is that as he was baptizing, the Holy Spirit would descend upon that person. He would see it and would remain. That's what's going on here. John didn't have a clue that Jesus was the Messiah, even though he was his cousin. I don't know how they related, if they talked at all, anything like that, until the day that Jesus walked on that Uh, walked in to be baptized. And on that day, the Lord let John know that this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And in Matthew's account tells us that John was actually reluctant to baptize Jesus at that point. When he realized that, that Jesus he goes, he, the Lord gives him revelation that this is the Lamb of God. And he comes up to him and says, now baptize me. John's like, no way. No way. And it wasn't a disrespectful no way. Matthew's account, chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, just to kind of give us a little context. It says that John would have prevented him from being baptized, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Good question. Yeah, so she's like, this is not right, Lord. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice of heaven Uh, A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so it was Jesus' baptism that unveiled the Messiah to John and to the Jews and then to us, basically. But now now I want to mention to you real quickly, how many of you, like, why in the world is Jesus getting baptized? I struggled with that when when I was younger in the Lord. I it's like, this is not going, Jesus does not need to do this thing. He's calling other people to repent. What's going on here? It really did bug me, but why would Jesus need to be baptized if he was sinless? And John even says, hey, I need to be baptized by you. So John even says that, listen, Jesus, you're holy, you're spotless. This is the other way around. I'm in need. John the Baptist, who was used mightily of God, was a, was a sinner. He was saying, I need to be baptized before you. And Jesus, and that was true, by the way, Jesus was spotless, he was sinless, no need to repent, or for, you need forgive, forgiveness. Jesus is totally pure and holy. And this is why John is pushing back and saying, man, you should baptize me. And, and Jesus says in verse 3, he gives us insight. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, in a matter of fact, uh, in a matter of words, John, under any other circumstances, you would be totally, absolutely, 100% correct. But this is God's will. It is fulfilling the Father's plan. It was at his baptism, at Jesus' baptism, that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, identified with you and me with mankind in their sinful state. The, sinless, the, the total sinless Savior submitting to a sinner's baptism. I, I can't even imagine that. 
It's just like the sinless Savior going to the cross. What for? Why? Why would he ever need to approach anything like that? How pure and holy and just and righteous our, our Jesus is. And yet the very first thing he does is says, put me in the water. I'm identifying with these people I've come to redeem. And this is what Jesus came to do, to take upon himself your sin and mine for all those who believe. And for the believers, the the picture is that our old life has gone away in baptism, that we've been born again, that his life now floods us, it washes us, and then now we, are new, we rise in newness of life. And this is why Jesus commands us to be baptized. You want to identify me, it's got to be public. I want you publicly to identify with me. It's an outward symbol of the inward reality of what I've done with my spirit in your heart. You've been born again. Baptism does not save. It is a symbol that you have been that union with Christ. But just as we identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection, so he identified with us. Not in that he became sinful, but that he was going to walk along and take our sin upon him, that dirty water, so to speak. Jesus was headed to the cross from day one where the sins of the world, John says, that is the sins of all those who would believe were placed upon him. He was numbered among the transgressors, it says. Tragic and wonderful. And here, as Jesus was baptized, thereby John, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. Luke 4.1 says that after this, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? To be baptized with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Does it mean that we become uncontrollable? Does it mean that we start seeing strange things from God? I'm not talking about tongues. I'm just talking about just uncontrolled babbling and all the things that are in the hyper-charismatic movement. What is the manifestation of the Spirit of God like in in the life of the believer? What is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit like in the life of a believer? Is it hyper-emotionalism? Someone said it. Love, ultimately. Real quickly, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon Christ was prophesied and described 600 years prior in Isaiah, basically chapter 11, uh, uh, verses 1 through like 5 or so. But it gives us seven aspects, seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. When you talk about the sevenfold spirit in Revelation, I believe this is talking about the seven, the, the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, what, what he is like, if, as if you can contain him. But it says there in Isaiah 11, beginning of verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In other words, from the descendant of Jesse is the son of Jesse is David, and from David is the messianic line all the way to Jesus. So it's talking about the Messiah, Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the Spirit the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, of might, the Spirit of knowledge in the fear of the Lord. 
and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus, the descendant of David, son of Jesse, has the fullness of the Spirit. He always has, but it rested upon him at his baptism as a sign for John. And his ministry was marked by the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. You want to know what someone looks like when they're absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit and and they're dynamically being used by God? You'd expect that they're a very charismatic personality, wouldn't you? That's what the world would have you to think. Jesus was marked by the Spirit resting upon him in wisdom, in understanding, in counsel, in might, in knowledge, and in the fear of the Lord. When you look at someone who's been walking with the Lord and is operating in the fullness of the Spirit, so to speak, you see these things in their life. The Spirit is resting upon them, and there's a wisdom about them. A wisdom, not a worldly wisdom, a wisdom from God. James talks about that, not earthly, fleshly wisdom, but a wisdom from God. There's, a, there's an understanding about them. They understand the inner workings of the human soul. They understand the things of the Spirit. They understand circumstances. There's just a... a, a there's a supernatural aspect about that person. There's, there's counsel. They have wisdom from God. They only take that wisdom and that understanding, but they're able to counsel people with it. Not what you think is the latest and greatest, but what does God think about this? What does God say about this? Because that is true wisdom and understanding. It, it's all from Him, and there's might. There's power in their life. There's a dynamic. There's an empowering for ministry. When they called Stephen to go wait tables, there was a qualification that they, were, they had to be men who were from among you. They had to be believers first, but they had to be men who were filled with the Spirit. And this is one of the things that he had, he was, he had wisdom and, and he had might. And that might is boldness. There's a dynamic that happens in the life of a believer when you are in connection with You're abiding in Christ. There's a power that exudes from your life. How many of you have known that and have experienced it? I am talking about experience because that's what happens. You experience God working through you. No one. No, I'm just kidding. That was just rhetorical. But I I know you've experienced at times. It's like, wow, you're connected with the Lord. You're hearing from Him. You're abiding in Him. And there's just a wisdom that comes into your life and an understanding and a dynamic and an empowering to do the things that He's called you to do as you are abiding in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is just, He's there. He's supernatural, natural, so to speak. And knowledge in the fear of the Lord. There's a fear of the Lord. You're always operating in a reverence and a respect for the Lord. And we just see that about Jesus. When you look at him, all these things are in total operation. And obviously that manifestation, the overarching manifestation, is that there's a love for God and a love for people. But the love for people does not undermine our love for God. (laughs) Ultimately, right? The fullness of the Spirit was in Jesus. And John testifies that he came to baptize you with his Spirit. Jesus, John said, I come, I baptize you with water. I'm doing the symbol. 
of what's going on. But Jesus came, one's coming before me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, who's gonna, not only, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's being regenerated in Christ. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is that your, his spirit washes over your life in regenerating life when you believe upon the Son and you are united with Christ. And his spirit now fills your life. You are a believer. It rests upon you. It remains. Never to leave. And as we abide in Christ, as we continue to abide in Christ, we see the spirit manifested in the life of a believer. It's hard to see in ourselves, but we see it in others often. There's a spirit of wisdom and understanding and of counsel and of might and you know, a fear of the Lord and, and, and knowledge and those attributes exuded from Jesus and they're to exude, exude from our church as we grow in him, amen? And so, church, I, I don't want you to equate being filled with the Spirit to being crazy. Being filled with the Spirit means you look and act and whatever that is, you're just more like Jesus. What was Jesus doing? How did he treat people? How did he love people? What did he do with his life? That's, that's the manifestation of the Spirit. Just look at Jesus. That's the fullness of it right there. That is the aim. Not everybody else, but him, our king. Amen? Lord, make me more like you. And I love that thing. Is this be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that command. In other words, just stay connected to the vine. Don't get out of step with the Lord. Don't grieve his heart. And if you do, quickly make it right and let that sweet fellowship come back. John bore witness in verses 33 and 34 that Jesus, on whom the Spirit of God descended and remained, is the Son of God. The title Son of God implies that Jesus shared all the attributes of God. And then we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the other gospels there, that the Father steps in and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We're one. So you have another testimony. Now starting in verse 35, John the Baptist's testimony is about over. He's about done. He's going to go off the scene except for talking about when he's in jail complaining like his, he's losing faith and losing heart. And we talked about that in Luke. But now... John starts in, in verse 35 about the Bob, John the Baptist's testimony being over, and now it's going to switch to other witnesses, the disciples. We're going to quickly go through these verses quick. It says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. It says the next day there. So there's three days. First, there's the day with the Pharisees when they sent everybody and they were questioning John about who he is. The second day is that, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. The third day is right here where basically uh, we're introduced to uh, a couple disciples of John the Baptist. One is Andrew. We find that in verse 40. And the other disciple, unnamed, is most likely John the Baptist and uh, because he kind of leaves himself anonymously there, but we don't really know. And as these two men saw the Lamb of God, they began to follow Jesus, and it appears that they were following him a little bit, a little far away. And Jesus turns to them in verse 38, and he asked a very probing question. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? Great question. Let me ask you, why are you here? 
I'm not Jesus. Some people say, I don't know, because <laughs> I had to. It's Father's Day, whatever it might be. But why do you guys seek after Jesus? It's a very probing question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Uh, by the way, John is translating stuff for Gentiles. He's writing to probably some, some home folks in Ephesus when he's writing this. And so there's a lot of Jewish things. Whenever you see the quotes there, that's kind of a translation from Jewish to kind of American, okay? So he says, hey, they, they said to him, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. In a roundabout way, they let Jesus know that they were seeking him. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to find out who he was, what was going on. And they did that by asking to, 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 to go to where he was staying. They didn't have lights and all that stuff. When it got dark, it got dark. Everybody went home. It was the 10th hour. That's what that's about. And Jesus, by the way, he's just hospitable to those who are seeking. He's always hospitable to those who are seeking. I love that about Jesus. He said, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness shall be filled. That is the nature of our Lord. Come and see he said, and they stayed with Jesus that day, meaning overnight. And it doesn't record what happens there, but obviously it was a life-changing event. They, were, they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. Because look what happens, verse, 20, verse, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And it says of Andrew in verse 42, and that encounter after that encounter of Jesus sorry, in verse 41, it says, he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, hey, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Real quickly, as we finish up, Andrew, through John the Baptist's testimony, comes in contact with Jesus, and Jesus changes Andrew's life. I believe he gets regenerated here. He's born again. And the first thing that Andrew does when he's born again, what does he do? He goes and finds his brother, Peter, Simon, and he tells him. And that's typically what happened when someone gets born again. When Jesus comes into your life, that life wants to go back out. It can't help it. That is the nature of Christ. That's the nature of the eternal God within us. It shines. The life of Christ they now possess starts to overflow. They aren't content. Andrew wasn't content to just hear the message and sit on it. He heard it, he believed it, and he had to share it. You see that? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit. But the dynamic of the Holy Spirit is that he empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 When we're born again, the Holy Spirit wants us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are now God's actual missionaries. 
Each one of you, when you've been born again, you are now a witness of Jesus Christ. And, and he longs that you would share what he has given you with others. It's the nature of it. So the Holy Spirit begins to overflow in the life of a believer like Andrew. And it's manifested in several ways, but one of them is evangelism. Evangelism, sharing Jesus with the lost. It's so interesting that the things that were, how many of you like to share things on Facebook? How many of you would like to stop sharing things on Facebook? How would you like to have other people stop sharing things on Facebook that are useless? Yeah, I know. It's like, I don't care that you're drinking that. That's, I just, that's why I don't go on there but once a month. Because people keep IMing me and I don't use it. Don't do it. <laughs> I won't. I'm not, it's not because I just don't get back to you on that. But basically, it's sad. The things we're willing to share. But it's also awesome in that we have the opportunity to share the most important dynamic thing that's ever happened to us, the life of Christ now in the believer. And I remember when I first came to the Lord, that's really what happened in my 19, I say I was 19, I was four when I think I came to the Lord, but truly it was manifest when I was 19 after just total darkness. It's like the wind came over my life and I was a different person. I began just sharing Christ with people and they began to see a difference. See, it, the message ma- matched what was going on in my heart. Things that I had used to do just started to fall away. There was repentance in my life. I wasn't high 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't on the prowl and all the things that were going on. My, the music had started to change. The, the, Jesus just, it was from the inside out. It wasn't a religion oppressed thing from the outside in. Some of you sitting here are going, oh, I just don't want to conform to this. That's religion. Jesus is an inside-out thing. He comes and changes you, and then the outward shell falls off year by year, day by, you know what I mean, day by day. You're transformed, you're being renewed day by day, and your life, all of a sudden, the people of God become important to you. Why? Because Jesus thinks you're important. I want to worship him. Why? I don't like singing. It's not about me, it's about him and his glory. And so I start singing to the Lord. I start sharing Jesus with people. I start loving people. My life starts getting lost in him. Amen? And so there's this dynamic that happens in the life of a believer that we begin to share Jesus with others. And I tell you, if we quell that, if we push that down, if we don't deny ourselves, we're, we're denying the Lord working in and through us because he put that in you to give it away. That new birth by nature is designed to shine. Andrew started with his brother Peter. Andrew first received Christ and he started to give it away. And verse 32 says that he brought Peter to Jesus. Let me ask you in closing, who's your Peter? convicting me too. Who's our Peter? Are we content? Yeah. You've heard of the analogy of the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the life of the bleeder. You guys have heard that, right? The reason why the Dead Sea is dead 
in Israel. I've been there. I've floated in it. It's pretty fun. But it's dead. There's no life in it. The reason why it's dead is because there's an inlet and there's no outlet. And it's also really low and there's tons of salt, you know. If there's no fish, there's no life in there. Everything's dead because it's just getting in. There's no output. Go 63 miles upstream. You run to the Sea of Galilee. Been there. Floated on it. Well, on in a boat. Inlet and outlet. The Lord pours into you so that you can give yourself away. Amen? And I think it's, we become pretty stale as Christians when, when we just say, Lord, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. He is Lord, and he's a good Lord. Do you think if he's calling you to do something, he'll not empower you to do it? Oh, how he will. And what joy will actually result of that? What eternal fruit that we have no clue as we just simply respond to the Spirit. In August, we're going to equip our church to reach the Peters that surround us. Mark it on your calendars. Don't know exactly when, but it's going to be like one of those those night three-week classes, probably on a Thursday night. As we're going to focus on sharing our faith. We're going to focus on evangelism. We're going to share some videos and other things that are kind of supplemental to that. We're still formulating it right now, but we'll give you more details on that. But if you've been at CCF for a bit, you know that our vision is simple. It's to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. Simple. To bring God glory by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. And if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in Matthew chapter 8, verse like 17 and through 20, through the end, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gave us a command to go. And that's what he expects from us, to go. The, in the Greek, it isn't go pastors. It's go disciples. It's go church. Go believers. Go and duplicate yourself. What I've done in you, do in others. For everyone who has believed upon the Lord Jesus, we're called to this in one way or the other. Some of you are more mouthpieces. Some of you are more supportive. Some of you are more um, you know, financial or organizers or whatever it might be. Be involved in the gospel. This is what it's about. Jesus gave himself away to give himself away through you. We are the Andrews. To be equipped, we need to know Jesus personally. And we also need to know what the gospel is and what it isn't because there's a false gospel out there. We need to know what it is and what it isn't. And lastly, we need to be bold And that just means we need to be connected to Jesus and be willing to step out and suffer and share. Amen? 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 All right. We will obey the Lord Jesus in this. So more on that later. But Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And we'll stop there. Because Jesus looks at Peter and says to him, Hey, your name." You're named Cephas. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, named, uh, you're named Simon, but I'm renaming you. Your name's Peter. You're going to be a rock. We have no clue what God has in store. We just want to be Andrews. Don't filter people out. Just bring them the gospel. Amen?
Let's pray. We'll stop. Lord God, we just, we just come before you, and there's so much here. Um, Lord, will you forgive us for being hard-hearted, for being rebellious in the area of an unwillingness to share the life that you've given us. How self-centered, Lord, I've become, we've become, and our hearts have been hardened. God, would you open our eyes like you said to the disciples, uh, look, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Go into the fields. Pray for harvesters. And so, Lord, we're praying for harvesters, and those harvesters are us. And so, Lord, in our repentance, God, as a church, we ask that you would now use us. And so, Lord, as we have a Peter in mind, as we walk down the street and you impress upon our hearts to go and engage that person with Christ, we know that's not the enemy, that's you, because we would never want to do that, and he doesn't want to have that happen. And so, Lord, as messy as this will get, as crazy as it will get, we just trust you. And we ask that many people, as many as possible, would come to Jesus through this little fellowship of believers. And they would enter into your eternal home in love through our testimony of your greatness. But truly, Lord, all glory and honor and power go to you. Thank you for sending Jesus as the light of our lives. And we just pray that your gospel will go forward. In the name of Jesus, amen.